Welcome to the Lifebox Media Channel Radio Podcast. Today, with the esteemed pleasure of having on world-renowned legendary photographer Harrison Funk. How are you today? Very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing great, sir. How's your day been so far? You doing okay? Hectic as can be, uh, believe it or not. But I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on. Um, you know, how you been holding up through all this uh, COVID stuff going on? Well, it's very interesting. I, um, in some ways, I have felt, except for uh, a complete lack of uh, ability to work through this, uh, I, I felt unaffected, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I live in, in, in Texas, and, and uh, I think people ignored a lot of the COVID-19 issues here. Um, I've had friends who've had it, um, and, and I've, I've spoken to people who, who've you know, been in quarantine for, for weeks at a time. But once Texans decided to reopen, they've been relentless about making everything open and available. Um, we really, you know, we could go to the supermarkets, which is really all the shopping I, I, I need to do. Um, we've kept, you know, we've managed to keep food in the house. Um, I think these people that, that uh, did their toilet paper and paper towel hoarding were a bunch of unfair, selfish boobs <laughs> that, um, you know, I, I think that they should, you know, I know, they'll get their karma, but they should be paying, paying a heavy fine or a heavy price for their actions. That was about the worst part of it. Right. Now they're trying to sell um, it back. Now they're trying to sell it back. But, um, but well, anyway, some were, and and this one guy who hoarded uh, uh, hundreds of bottles of of hand uh, thousands, thousands. That was it. That was in Tennessee, and yes, yeah, they, 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 they took it all from him. Um, but they took it off his hands for free. <laughs> oh yeah, I understand that they're they're also pressing charges. Yes, but so uh, now here's the thing. So I mean, you know, you're known as a you 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 photograph people all over the planet. Um, some of the most famous pictures in history um, of rock and roll singers to uh, iconic uh, from Michael Jackson to Nelson Mandela. I mean, how did you get into photography? I stole my dad's camera. <laughs> beat, 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 laugh. Okay. Um, in, in, when I was 14, um, did your parents have a cabinet or a drawer that you were prohibited from going into under any circumstances? Absolutely, without a doubt. Okay, and if you went into it, you would hear the belt slide through belt loops, or you hear. <laughs> <laughs> my mom had no problem sparing the rod. It was across my behind, but she had no problem sparing it. <laughs> exactly. Well, my parents would threaten a lot. But they never really followed. Well, my dad followed through a few times. But I don't think that they thought this was a bad thing. So I pulled the camera out of the drawer. And I was a very shy kid. You'd never know that today, but I was a very shy kid. 
I couldn't talk to people to save my life. And having a camera between me and other people was, was an absolute miracle because I changed. And I started taking pictures of people. First of all, the camera was meant to be a wonderful way of making friends and, and also meeting girls because girls wanted their pictures taken. Um, and, and they were, <laughs> it was funny because I started shooting a guy in high school who really wanted to be a fashion photographer. He became some kind of biomedical research scientist later on. Oh, well, you know, kind of goes left or right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and he was, he was good. He was really good. And, and, um, there were about, there were probably five of us in high school that were highly competitive. Um, you know, we were all learning, um, you know, things like the, that will sound foreign to you, but like the zone system of uh, a, a way of shooting black and white accurately. I love black and white photography. Oh, I don't do half enough. It is. It's, it's really the most the most wonderful way of capturing an image. And so, you know, I was, I here, I was 14 and, um, I had, I had my dad's camera and I was getting the film processed, you know, at the camera store. I well, remember those. I remember those. <laughs> yeah. And they said, they send the film out and, you know, or, or you go to a one-hour photo place. Remember those? Photomat. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so one thing led to another. I started looking at my, at my pictures every day. I learned how to use the darkroom and do my own. And I started working for the local newspaper. Excuse me, I'm going to interrupt you right there for a second. For, my fa- for our listeners who don't know what darkroom is, for black and white film or color, but for black and white film is basically you took a small room, you had some chemicals and some trays and some pans, and you had a particular type of light, and you and and what Harris is saying is he developed his own pictures from a roll of film. Right. Now in those days there was no digital. So right. uh you know, we we uh matter of fact uh, I can describe the process. It was it was you would take a film, and I, I hope that your listeners understand what film looks like. It's it's a long uh, strip of uh, celluloid rolled into a canister, a little a little canister, and and loaded into a camera, where the camera back keeps it keeps the the, the chamber dark, and you just like you do with digital, you press a button and instead of it capturing an image with zeros and ones, it captured it onto um, silver halide, uh, a silver halide um, uh, gel put on, put across the, this, this, this uh, celluloid um, strip. Right, which you had 126, 110, and 35 millimeter, and leave it, add anything else that I'm leaving out. Um, I mean, the, the most popular was, of course, you know, 126 um, was like, like brownie camera. Um, the, uh, uh, it was 35 and millimeter. 
Um, and it was called 35 Millimeter because the, um, that was the, the closest, uh, dimension of, uh, that, you know, that, that people could read. And, um, hey, listen, if any of your listeners want to learn about the history of photography, um, I do workshops. Do me a favor, and, do me a favor, buddy. Don't turn away from the mic, buddy, because I'm losing you when you turn oh, away from the mic. Sorry, did I? I mean, I, I think I pulled the mic half an inch away. Um, it changed it. So, huge. I, is speaker any better? No, that's you're, you're you're perfect right where you are, right there. You're doing great. Okay, so you're on speaker now, Thank um, you. and and the phone's in in a comfortable position. The um, uh, I do workshops that I I teach. Um, at the beginning of every workshop, I teach a little bit about the history of photography. Photography is, by the way, to me, and this is a sore point, yes, you can take beautiful pictures on an iPhone, but there's very little you can do with them. You can, you can post them online, or you can blow them up into prints, photographic prints, very small. Because once you get bigger than, say, 8 by 8 inches by 10 inches, which is a standard print size, right? Right? They fall apart because they get very, very pixelated or they get very grainy, very noisy. And, and the image, you got to view the image then from farther away or you don't get the impact of the image. Where on film, the resolution is so high that. Um, you can blow pictures up to, um, you know, dimensions of 24 inches by 36 image, uh, 30, 36 inches without losing quality. Um, you know, digital is great. It's convenient. But, but there are still some drawbacks. Now, of course, pros have cameras that will still allow them, you know, to make high-resolution prints. Right. Very large. Um, you know, and, and, and make them so you can display the images, but the iPhone, I'm sorry to disappoint, <laughs> does, doesn't yet allow for that. And I don't think it ever will because the sensor in the iPhone is so tiny that if you look at the, the size of that hole, um, I'm looking at it now on my phone. If you look at the size of that hole where the picture is actually taken from it's 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 really 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 small right and as a former photographer not anywhere in your league but as being a former uh, photographer i mean it's come a long way with phones and i have a samsung and high definition and all that it, it can do but like you said when you try to expand it to a beyond it i mean i can take some beautiful small shots to see every little intricate detail of a flower or a rose or or, or, or a concert event, but then I lose it. It's funny because you, you know this from covering many events that if you pull out your phone, my lighting starts to kill me when it, red lights are used or whatever, where I used to be able to adjust an aperture speed or whatever, or my shutter speed or whatever on a camera, and I could change it to whatever I wanted on a phone. I'm very limited to an extent. Yeah, you, you are, and... and um, I, I think that if you, uh, I'm going to make a shameless plug for my website. Go to it, brother. It's my show. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> www.harrisonfunk.com. Harrison Funk, be my name and one word in the website. 
Um, but if you look at some of the concert pictures on the site, you'll see that, uh, and this has been a, 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 an issue since, since I can remember, um, red and blue lights never translate well to film. Right. So the best photographers learned how to take advantage of that instead of being, you know, um, being hindered by that, we've learned that the best way to deal with red or blue lights is to enhance um, the image that they create. And to do that, you know, one of the tricks was to give it a slight overexposure in color photography. Um, or, in, in, in the case of red light, um, to to capture the lighting from an angle that didn't distract or or overpower the subject. I'd never use red. Well, I'm they never. Um, I would never use red light in a portrait. But I say that, and I you know I I I really I'm, I'm misspeaking because you can use any color light to tell a story. Right. It's just how you tell the story. Um, I did a series of red lit images, I guess, in high school to look like you were on a, or the subject was on a submarine because all the movies show, you know, um, red light in, in the conning tower of a submarine or right. Right. Because that's what that, it doesn't, and and I'm going to have some sailor call in to your show and correct <laughs> me. Um, the, it's just more difficult for the enemy to perceive red light and and find the sub using using red light, um, it, or if they use red light in 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 battle. That that at least is what what I was told. I think at the time, I think at the time that was why they did it because, of course, we're looking at technology, you know, 50, 100, 50, 75 years ago, whatever. So I think that was the basis of it. it yes, yeah. I mean, and that's so I I understand that, and I think and no, no, I don't. Nobody's going to call. First of all, you're an expert at this field, and nobody's really going to call in and correct you on on something that you know you've done for a long time. Um, but and and that gets me to the fact of I mean, you have taking pictures uh, for Life, Time, uh, Life Magazine, Time Magazine, Newsweek, Rolling Stone, uh, Spin, TV Guide, USA, I mean, you know, Paris. I mean, you've taken pictures of some of the greatest rock and roll stars, I mean, uh, in, in the world, the Rolling Stones, U2, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Michael Jackson, which we're going to get to in just a little bit, Johnny Depp, I mean, President Barack Obama, Nelson Mandela, uh, it, it's amazing. How did you get around the entertainment field? Because that's a very, there's a difference of covering a concert and being there saying, I took some pictures of Bob Dylan or Billy Joel to being that you're taking pictures of Nelson Mandela for Nelson Mandela, so to speak, or whatever. How did you, how did you cross over into that line? I actually, I think about this frequently because I'm asked about this frequently. Um, I used to think that I was a really good hustler. 
and I would meet people that I needed to meet to hustle my my skill, you know, and and photograph the people I wanted to, to photograph. And to a great degree, you you have to be a, a hustler to get into this business, but you have to be honest about it. You got to be able to, to to provide the service and the quality of work that you're bragging that you can provide. Right, right. You can't Don't say you're a great dancer. A I'm sorry. You can't yeah, say you're a great dancer and then not be able to dance. And I've seen I've seen people. Well, dance is a different story because you know if you want to fall flat on your face and break your leg, then then by all means tell everybody you're a great dancer and. And and try to keep up with a uh, you know a, a a master choreographer. It ain't going to happen, right? Um, but but with photography, what I have found in the last twenty years is people will go out to the store, they'll buy a camera, and and they'll say, "I have a great camera. I just spent two thousand dollars on this camera and lens." And I can take any kind of picture you know, you need. <laughs> well, you know, besides light, there's composition. And there is understanding how to stop action, understanding of the, the relationship between, you know, starting with film, uh, but but now with, with digital, the relationship between the sensitivity of your sensor and different sensors have different qualities to them. Right. So, you know, so a lot, of, a lot of young photographers don't bother to really study the technology, you know, and, and um, they don't bother. They think they know it, right? right. Oh, I, I, I read this article about the iPhone. No. <laughs> I love the iPhone, but but that's not a camera; it's a phone. I mean, right. you know, it's it's a point and shoot camera. But um, and I've taken, uh, if I dare say so, I've taken some gorgeous pictures um, with the iPhone. Go look at my, you know, at my uh, uh, Instagram site, uh, photo under f o t o underscore icon, and you can see a series of pictures that I've done with my phone. Problem is, I can't do much with them now. I'm limited in how much I can I can do with them, and that's the disappointing factor. So, um, getting back to the original question, how did I get into it? Um, I decided, and I had a, a strong ethic that whatever I did, I would be the best at. So I knew that probably. I wasn't going to get into the sciences. Much as I liked chemistry and biology, I didn't want to spend my life in a lab. Um, and, you know, I was on an academic track <clears throat> studying history and, and uh, you know, law and political science. And the passion that I had for photography drove me to get to know people who could help me get into the business. So my first client, my first major client was Billy Joel. Nice. And that was when I was in college and we booked him for a show. 
you know, he wasn't a superstar yet. He was on his way. Um, and and uh, so I shot him, and I wound up doing a whole bunch of dates on his tour, photographing him, uh, because his tour manager and I got, got, got on really well. Um, and, and so that led to, you know, time, time off from school, summers, um, vacation, shooting, shooting artists that I could get to, get to, to photograph. And my requirement, of course, back then, it was a lot easier. But my requirement was I wouldn't shoot an artist unless I had real access to the artist. Right. That was the key. You have to have access. So I had to be able to be on stage, in front of the stage, backstage, and get to know them as people. Love it. And um, that was, you know, it was wonderful because I had a lot of people. Uh, I shot a lot of sports. I started to say, I, shot, I started shooting high school sports for my local paper, which um, brought me to shooting for the New York Times and as a stringer for Associated Press. Stringer being a guy that's not on staff and, and not on contract, but brings his pictures in and they expect to receive something frequently. Peter Parker. I'm sorry? Peter Parker. Peter Parker? Yeah, Spider-Man. You know, he'd go in and he'd occasionally first get give the money. I'm, I'm, I'm helping the kids identify with. He'd go in and give ah. Jonah Jameson the money. He'd give him a picture. And I'll give you $25 for that picture, kid. Right. You know, type thing. Right. I, I think of Clark Kent uh, or, or uh, uh, you know, Jimmy Olsen when I think about journalism back then. And I didn't realize it. You know what, I, I'm, I'm going to sound really stupid. I didn't realize that, that Spider-Man um, was a photographer. Yeah, I that's no how, yeah, he basically would go in and just kind of first, that's kind of what you did is what he did. He would yeah. go in there and try to, he'd try to have, it wasn't his main hustle at first. It was to get himself in to get the Clark Kenton job. Jimmy Olsen was the was the photographer for Superman and, and you know, for, for the Daily Planet, where, where yeah. he was actually a photographer and Lois Lane and Clark were the reporters. Where Spider-Man... Uh, you know, Peter Parker was the hack photographer, so to speak, until he got a job. Man, I wish I was better up on my on my comics. I I feel really really no, dumb. No, 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 no. But thank you for the education. No, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know, so what, what would happen is I would I would get uh, as you know after about a year of of doing it that way, you know, I would get assigned to to photograph major events, uh, major sporting events, or, or you know, um, shoot major sporting teams as a backup to the, the staff photographer as, as you know, or, or later on when, when editors started thinking, oh, he can get the shot, I would get assigned, um, you know, to, to cover, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Yankees or the, or the, the Jets or the, um, I lived in New York, so you know, um, we we had football teams that didn't really count, <laughs> <laughs> and and it was easy to get passes to shoot, um, and and then I'd come back with something special because usually it was, you know, you go to Shea Stadium and shoot the Jets, but but usually it was, 
it was the opposing team that made the picture. Right. Um, or that, or their hapless antics that made made a picture. You know, the Jets' hapless antics that made the picture. Um, same thing with the Mets until they won a World Series, and then, of course, they didn't do much after that. Right. <laughs> um, They're still the Mets. You know, <laughs> but I did get to, to cover, you know, four Yankees World Series and, and um, um, got pictures of the Yankee greats from the, you know, from the 70s and 80s. And um, and that led to oddly enough, it led to me shooting the New York Cosmos, the soccer team with Pele. That's Pele's group. That's right. And then I met Pele, and I met all the, you know, the 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 Italian and, and English stars that were playing. Yeah, Roman Abunzacek played up there with him too. That's right, and a few. Uh, well, let's see. It was Giorgio Pinalia and and Johan Cruyff yes. uh, from Holland, who was you know footballer of the year like four times. Um, and and um, uh, Carlos Alberto and from from uh, another Brazilian player, uh, Dennis Stewart, and, and you know we, we I I was able to shoot all these people, and at the same time, the Cosmos were owned by Warner Communications, so I got to meet people at Warner Records. Um, my uncle helped because he knew Ahmed Erdogan and set up a meeting with me and him. Um, and uh, I, I I managed to get my foot in the door in music, shooting music, because I'd already seen the pictures from Billy Joel, and, and I also had picked up Genesis and Peter Gabriel and, um, you know, the the English prog uh, crowd. Um, my well, I think the very first picture that I published which I'm not even credited for, was something I sent into ABC Records um, when when Renaissance, a group that you know, absolutely gorgeous music that that most of your listeners will have never heard of. And if you get a chance to check them out, they they they're not a group anymore. Um, two of them passed away, and uh, the lead singer is just. She's just amazing. She's seventy something years old. She still sounds like she did, you know, forty years ago. Wow. Um, but but they are they were one of the great progressive groups, part of that progressive English, you know, that that English progressive movement. Um, and I started shooting. I, I so I I sent in a picture I took of them when they played at Carnegie Hall, and. Um, they used it, but they never credited me. I think they paid me a hundred bucks for it. Uh, and and this is what, what, 79-ish, 80-ish? 76. 76. hundred bucks a lot of money then. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, it, it would pay for, you know, a whole week's worth of dinners out. Um, right. And this is, excuse, excuse me for interrupting, Harrison, but they, this is what they, this, you know, he's cutting his teeth. He's earning his stripes right there. Harrison is, and that's what he's explaining when he sit there and says, you just don't, Go read a magazine or a book or watch a video, and you become a photographer. He's learning his pluses and minuses by doing all of these things. And a lot of these things, a lot of the access I got was just because I would, you know, go hang out with the people that were able to give me access. Right. Especially, you know, um, after after a, a soccer match, um, I'd go out drinking with. <laughs> people from Warner Warner Communications, and uh, you know, 
I was what seventeen, uh, and I'm getting into the into the uh, the stadium club, and uh, you know, different they're time, selling brother. the alcohol. Different time. <laughs> it was a very different different era. Um, what was it anyway, like shooting? Excuse me. I'm, I'm, what was it like shooting Genesis? I mean, such such a a legendary band, and Phil Collins, such a legendary talented singer. I mean, so you know, you're doing Billy Joel, who's just off the charts, legendary. You know, Genesis and and Phil Collins. How was it for you as a young cat? You know, as a teenager, shooting these. these I mean, you, Billy Joel obviously took off more later on, but in in seventy six, seventy seven, shooting Genesis. Well, Billy Billy was was a uh, was basically a bar band performer. Right. You know, he was like yes. he was piano man. He was a piano bar kind of kind of performer. Right. And and that was that was cool because he was very down to earth. He was from Long Island. I was I was from uh, Brooklyn originally, then then Westchester, and and we had the New York thing in common. You know, that was it was it was like um, he was about what ten years older than me. And he'd been through his struggles. And I heard the stories of his struggles to make it in the, in the music business. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing I wanted to document was how, how people came up in this business. What, what made them, uh, who they, who they became. Um, it was, that was fascinating. Um, and it was, it was a, it was a really great time. The, you know, rock and roll and, and the music business came into its own in the 50s and 60s. Right. By the 70s, it was going in a different direction. And I used to envy the guys from the 60s. You know, they were, I, I heard stories about people walking into a, into a, a uh, walking up to a, a box office and saying, hey, I'm pressed. I'm shooting for Crawdaddy or I'm shooting for, you know, um, for right on, or I'm shooting for, uh, uh, you know, any one of the, the rock magazines back right. then. And, and the manager of a theater saying, Oh yeah, come on in and shoot. <laughs> you know, um, the band needs, it needs the publicity. Um, it wasn't like that when I came up, it was, you know, you had to go through channels to get in. Right. And, and once you had that, that coveted photo path, and and you could actually do something. Right. No websites either. No websites to look you up. <laughs> no. No wet. Not even the thought of having a computer. Right. You know, a computer was the size of a of a small building right. back then. Right. Right. And um, um, people were still shooting. Uh, we were shooting film, not digital. Right. You know, there was an intermediary step between between shooting and getting the pictures out to the magazines or out to whomever was going to use it. I mean, you know, you had to be very careful um, not to have camera shake. I remember the first, I think it was the first live album project I did was for live. I'm just thinking... Well, it wasn't the first ever, but it, that I did. But it was it was the first commission I had that was going to be a billboard, a a cover, and an a, a print ad. Oh wow! And 
Yeah, it was good money too. I'll tell you, it was it was REO Speedwagon. Nice. Live at Denver. Was it Denver? No, it was in Cleveland. And there was a specific shot that I had to get. Now I got this shot with REO Genesis and with with Van Halen at different times. What was fascinating to me was that, you know, back then bands at the end of a show would all come together and wait. Right. Right? So REO would do their, they would do, um, 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 oh my gosh, uh, what was the address on Riverside Avenue? <laughs> they would end with that song. I forget, but I know what you're talking about. Or they would end with Keep On Rolling. They would all come together and they would wait. Right. Right. Van Halen would end with, with happy with singing Happy Trails from Roy Rogers. Remember? <laughs> yes. Happy yes. Trails to you. Yes, I do. Yeah. And um, um, Genesis would end, depending on the tour, um, I forget what they ended with, but they would come together. Then it was... It was Phil and Mike Rutherford and Tony, uh, Tony's last name. Uh, yeah, you're drawing a blank on me now. By the way, it's 157 Riverside Avenue. 157 Riverside Avenue, where Kevin Cronin scat. And if none of your listeners know what scatting is, it's a thing from the, from the 40s that jazz artists did. Yes. Um, and, and Kevin could do it really well. Um, and so, so they'd sing that, get the audience up to a frenzy. And, and I, I mean, the kids just loved that song. And then that was, that was the end of the second encore and they would just get together and wait. Well, they wanted that shot of them waving. And, and they had hired four other people to come out on the road and shoot that shot at different times. And nobody captured it except me. Wow. It was the easiest thing in the world. I expected it. I anticipated it. It's like sports and music is the same basic animal. Yeah. You know, anticipating. I mean, it's the hardest thing in the world is to shoot um, a batter hitting a home run and know that. Well, you don't know it's going to be a home run, but you want to you want to you, you, you hold the the button down and let the motor drive do the work. Right. Um, in soccer, it's it's a different different animal too because you want to you know there are key moments that you want to anticipate. I played soccer, so I I could anticipate when somebody when two guys were going to go up and, and head a ball um, and, and clash on a header, or in hockey. You know, you, you kind of know when they're getting close to the goal because you're shooting in, you know, in in the back of the, behind the goal, um, through a glass, and and you kind of know when they get close to the goal that that's when you're going to, uh, that's when you really have to to look for the slap shot or the or the tip in, you know, or whatever. Right. Basketball is the same thing. Um, two guys dribble or a guy dribbles down down court. And, and a, a defender comes over and, and, you know, you anticipate the action. And music is the same thing. So I, I caught this picture of, of Ario Speedwagon. And it, it went to press um, 
a week later, it, it wound up as the cover of a, a super disc. Remember super disc? I do. Wound up as the cover of a super disc. As well, it wound up as a billboard. And I remember going out to L.A. I was still living in New York at the time. I went out to L.A. because um, the right after the REO project, I get hired to shoot Simon and Garfunkel's reunion concert in Central Park. Which one? No, I'm just <laughs> The one with half a million people at uh, it. That one. <laughs> that one. That little known, little known show. And, um, you know, I have, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I won't say starstruck, but I didn't, I, I was a little in awe of the fact that, I mean, these guys were, they were what I grew up listening to because my parents loved them. Right. And I, you know, I was trying to make a game plan for shooting that show and it just, it was organic. It just kind of happened. Um, and I think it was two thirds of the way through the show. Most of the photographers had to leave. They were, they were moved out of the pit and, and off from the sides of the stage. And it was just me and, and one other photographer that had full access to them. And I look out over the sea of people and I think, how do I capture them and the sea of people? Because that tells the story. Right. And so I, I walked up on stage right, you know, in the middle of the show and, and right stood right behind them with a wide-angle lens and shot them with their arms outstretched at one point together um, with the audience in front of them. Whoa. But that did not end up as the cover, and I thought that would end up as the cover of the album. Because I was shooting specifically, you know, for... for Right. Uh, Warner Records and, and for them uh, to do the cover. And what they ended up using was uh, two pictures, one of Art, one of Paul. But they weren't very close together for most of the show. And from the front, you couldn't get a great shot of the two of them that would fit in a 12 by 12 inch space. Right, and if by I remember way, right, they sung, they, they never were really super, super close together. On, on most of the stages, right? No. And and, and that, that's partly because they didn't like each other. Right, right. <laughs> they really they really did not like each other. Yeah, they never hid that fact, you know. <laughs> no, they, they made that amazingly abundant. <laughs> um and uh, I just did I, I was in New York back in January working on a, a documentary that is not out yet. Uh, it should be out very soon. You come back on when it is to to plug it, won't you? I will. It's not. It, it's it's it's. I'm in it. I'm not. It's not my doc, but I'm in it, and I shot some some footage for it, um, for Dutch television. Very cool. Um, and I'll I'll plug the guys that I was that I was doing it for was these two guys in Holland. They're called Nick and Simon, and and they're heavily influenced by Simon and Garfunkel. So it was all about them going back or going to New York to see the roots of the concert in Central Park. And 
the producer calls me and asks me if I would shoot them in New York, you know, in Central Park, like I shot Barton Paul. And if I would be on camera and, and do an interview about, um, about, you know, their music and, and, and Simon Garfunkel. And the interview, of course, the interviewer turns out to be a huge Michael Jackson fan and, and decides to, um, to ask me tons of questions about Michael. Right. Which is fine. You know, I mean, you know, Michael is, we'll cover Michael in a minute. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say Michael was the person who has in a lot of ways defined my career. Right. Um, he was a, a great friend and almost a brother. Um, you know, I, I felt when he passed that I lost, uh, a, a member of my family. Right. And, you know, it was very, it was very difficult, but we'll, we'll come back to that anyway. Yes, sir. So, so I, I wound up in LA, uh, going out to pick up a check for the, the Simon and Garfunkel cover and meet with the senior art director at, at, at Warner Records thinking, oh, I'll parlay this into more work. And I'm driving down Sunset Boulevard, and there's my picture of REO Speedwagon waving. And I almost got into a wreck. That is just awesome by itself. That you're just driving down, and there you go, and you look up, and your picture's on your picture uh, of an iconic band at the time, hotter, white hot, is is on on a billboard in in Los Angeles. How did you feel yeah. about that, brother? There's no feeling, there's no description for that feeling. It's like, um, holy fuck, I'm on a billboard. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I, the worst of it was that I knew very few people in LA at the time. So I really had no one to share that excitement with. But, um, a friend of mine set me up with this girl on a blind date while I was out there. I think I was out there for like two or three weeks. And, and I was just, I was, I fell in love with LA. You know, I, um, imagine that a New Yorker in love with LA. The, the, yeah. That's never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, I, I lived, um, the you know the Neil Diamond song I am I said favorite song of his favorite song of his okay so you know the line L A is fine the sun shines most of the time and the feeling is laid back right. uh, palm trees grow the rents are low and I just can't wait to start making my way back right but I'm New York City born and raised okay so I started living that song. Now, oddly enough, I, I actually, I picked up Neil as a client years later and told him this story. Wow. And he said, well, you got sucked into L.A. just like I did. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking when you started going here. <laughs> and, and one night during the show at, one of his shows at Madison Square Garden, he introduces the song, and he looks at me, and he doesn't say anything else. He says, this is for you, and points at me Oh, while I'm shooting. 
At the garden. At the garden. In you know, in our hometown, in our in oh. the greatest arena in the world. And mm. I You just gave me chills, brother. That's that's awesome. It was incredible. It was just incredible. But this is my this goes back to my point that I would get to know my clients and become as close to them as possible. No, um, you, you're, you're making it, see, see, it knows things, and I love these stories, and I, I've been so looking for, ladies and gentlemen, the Lifebox Media Channel radio podcast here, we have legendary photographer Harrison Funk on, and, 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 and this is the thing, is stories like this, I mean, I got chills. One, you know, I know what the garden means to the world. And and so there's no place like Madison Square Garden. It is the world's most famous arena. If you know anything about it or, or you're somebody even new, if you know the history of the garden, you walk in, it gives you chills no matter what event you're going to, let alone the fact that you have somebody as legendary as Neil Diamond and, 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 and cut apart promo for a song that fits you like a glove. Man, that, that gave me chills, brother. I love that. Thank you. And, and, you know, I, I'm glad that you can relate as well, because, you know, if you can, I'm sure other people will, will as well. It, I finally get to share this feeling. And I love that. You know, I've, I've said this in, I've never told that story in other interviews. Um, but I, 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 we went out to dinner to this, this bar restaurant downtown. Uh, I guess it was in the village somewhere, uh, or in Chelsea, and it was picked by Neil's brother-in-law, who was his stage manager at the time. And um, it was... We sat there, and Neil wanted me to sit next to him. That's really cool. He wanted to talk to me, New Yorker to New Yorker, you know, and, and he, he knew Michael. I eventually got to photograph him and Michael in LA. Really? At, at the Greek theater. Yeah. Neil was doing, um, the hot August night show at the Greek. Um, and Michael came to the show. And, and had seats with, he was, he was there with Sophia Loren and her son. And his seats were right in front of the soundboard. And there's a little area next to the soundboard that I was squeezed into to shoot with a long lens for certain shots. Oh, wow. And Michael, I see Michael, I, I said, Michael, he turns around, he said, I'll talk to you later, you're working. I said, no, no, I'll come over and, and give me a second. I put my stuff down and I walked over to him, you know, and thank God there were no paparazzi. There were no, there were, there were no other photographers. There no, no news crews. I gave Michael, you know, people were not allowed into the theater with their cameras. Right. I remember those and, days. Yeah. And, um, I gave Michael a big hug and he said, is there any way that I can go backstage to say hi to Neil? <laughs> That's amazing, and, and, and I want to stop you there for the story. Is that people don't realize that a lot of stars they do this, and, and you know, and they're big stars. And that, oh man, hey, do you know somebody? 
You know, <laughs> you 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 know, it, 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 here's two superstars, right? Two legends, and I have to be the intermediary to get one of them backstage. You're facilitating the meetup, <laughs> exactly. Well, wait till I tell you about Nelson Mandela. So, I I went backstage right away after the show and pushed past everybody, and I went up to Neil's dressing room, and they said he'd be about five minutes. He's just you know getting toweled off, and I think he's he went to take a shower, and. I said, Neil Michael Jackson is here. And he said, did you bring him? I said, no. Just showed up. He said, I wonder why nobody told me. <laughs> so I said, well, I'm telling you now, Michael wants to come back and see you. And, and so I arranged for Michael to come upstairs. I ran down. I got Michael uh, and Sophia and, and her son and... Um, we'll talk about the legendary Sophia Loren, one of the most beautiful women in the world, an actress and everything. That's right, correct? And one of the sweetest and most down-to-earth people I've yes. ever photographed or met. I, I mean, didn't want to go just, by and not let anybody know who you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. She's just, she, she is just a lovely human being. Yes, sir. And, um, um, and she has suffered through some trials and tribulations in her career. Yes, sir. It is amazing that this woman has come out you know, uh, unlike Elizabeth Taylor, who who I was very close to. Yes. And it's very, you know, Elizabeth is, it's hard for me to, to talk about Elizabeth uh, because I revere her to that degree. She is, she was a goddess in my eyes. Uh, and, 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 you know, I we will definitely have you on again to, to talk about another part of that. But so you, so you have Sophia and, and you have Michael and your and, and, and Sophia's son, and you're taking them to see, see Neil Diamond. Correct. And we walk upstairs, and uh, I I you know say Neil Michael Michael Neil how are you you know. Um, Neil looks at Sophia, gives her kiss on both cheeks. Um, and it was just, it was a magical moment. A, and it was, it, it happened all quickly. Michael and Neil wanted, they both said at the same time, awkwardly. Well, let's get a picture of the two of us. They hadn't met before? They had, many times. Okay. Um, and they, uh, they, we took the picture and um, Neil said, uh, which office is this going to go to Rolling Stone from? <laughs> and Michael said, I don't think it should go from either of us. It should just be Harrison having access and sending it into to be a random note. Oh hell no! <laughs> wow. Which was I mean I used to do random notes all the time. Yeah, but still. Um. Yeah. So I sent it in, and I can't remember 
how long it took to get a response, but it didn't happen right away. And some intern contacts me and says something to the effect of, is this something that the lady that, uh, that, that did ran, that, that was one of the photo editors that handled ran notes often was, was a, a, a lady named, um, well, what was her name back then? I'm losing track of, I'm losing track of people. Anyway, uh, is this something that she'd be interested in? I mean, is, and, and, and this intern says, is, is either of them really relevant? Oh, jeez. And this is 1985. And I said, why are you working at Rolling Stone if you don't know music? Right. Okay. So I get a call back from Jan Wenner's assistant who says, wow, what a great picture. We're going to run it next week. Um, you know, tell us the story behind Just send us the story behind it. So I did, and they, they ran it. Um, I tried to get it into Life magazine as an end piece um, because I was a life, a life photographer um, at the time. And um, they, it got bumped due to some major news article. And I forget, or major news story, I forget which one. Um, and that was really disappointing because I thought, what a great picture to be in life, Michael and Neil. Right? Um, yeah. And anyway, so, so the, the key here, to my, the, the point in my story is the key to everything is access, and knowing people, um, it, it's all about who you know and how you know. And, and how you treat them. And how you, well, that goes, for me, that goes without saying, because I always treated everybody the way I'd want to be treated. Right. With complete and total respect. I can't think of one artist that I ever photographed that didn't get my utmost respect. And it didn't matter what I thought of their music. I mean, I usually, and to be honest with you, I only would take on clients whose music I like. <laughs> so you know if your picture came out, you know you were a fan. Pretty much, but I, I never, fan is not how I, I mean, everybody, look, every photographer out there is a fan of somebody, I would right, think. Right. Right? Um, every journalist is a fan of somebody. Um, but I think that... I, I think that you can be a fan without being fanatic. You can oh, be a yeah. fan... Yeah, I mean, you can be a fan without... I was never starstruck. Um, there are... Probably three artists that I can think of that had me tongue-tied at first. Frank Sinatra was the first one. And believe it or not, my dad was friends with Sinatra and actually represented him in some... My dad was a lawyer and a judge and represented Sinatra in a couple of real estate deals. And my dad used to say to me, you know, look, I mean, he knew a lot of celebrities a lot of politicians. 
I met I've met every president since Nixon. Wow. My you know, my dad would say to me, just remember if you ever get if you ever get stressed, tongue tied, meeting somebody famous, remember. You can think about a picture of them sitting on the toilet with their with their pants around their ankles. <laughs> because everybody does it the same way. Right. Right? And he and, and I think at one point he said, and think about them grunting at the same time. So I never had I never had a a real uh, uh, moment of being of being completely starstruck by anybody. Who were the other but two not, people? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't know who were the other two people. Frank Sinatra and it really Frank Sinatra and um, probably. I mean, I'm I'm being I'm probably Elton John. Ooh. Because, and, and, you know, somebody, I told that story to someone else, and they said, what about Paul McCartney? I said, nah. I said, I was in, I used to go to a club in, in London called Five Cavendish, and we would, um, it, you know, it's a, it, it, London is filled with these, what, what were gentlemen's clubs, but I don't mean strip joints, I mean gentlemen's clubs where men would go in and smoke scars and right. a big have room drinks, and right. have a yeah. drink and have dinner. Anyway, so we, I would, I would hang it. I was a member of five Cavendish, and I, um, I'm downstairs, uh, in, in one of the private lounges. And I run into Mary McCartney and, and who I knew and, and we're talking about photography. Yes. And, you know, as you do. And, and, and uh, she says, oh, Stella's coming over. My dad's coming over. My Very dad's cool. coming over. Now, <laughs> I've met Sir Paul a number of times. I photographed him a few times. And he walks in and he, you know, he, he walks in, sits down, says hello to me, says hello to his, to his daughter, and, and he's with his other daughter. If you don't know who Stella McCartney is, she's one of the greatest designers of, of our time. Right. Right. And uh, I'm sitting at a table with the three of them and a publicist who works with a whole bunch of other artists, mostly English boy bands at the time. And uh, Paul says, you know, in his perpetual Liverpoolian accent, He's a scouser from the word go. And he said, he says, you know, would you like to eat with us? And I said, sure. He says, well, let me get the, you know, the, the, the server to bring another chair. And the publicist is sort of waving me off. Like, not a good idea. Don't, don't agree to this. Right. And I'm like, I'm thinking, well, why would you do that? You know, it's good for my business. I don't care about your business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's Sir Paul McCartney before he was a sir. <laughs> and I met him before he was knighted. I mean, you know, so. Right. So what? Now he's, now he's, uh, you know, he's noble and he's, and he is a, uh, uh, what was he, OB? What is he, OBE? The OBE uh, was the letter. He became knighted. Yeah, he was OBE before with the letter from the Queen and recognized. Now he's, yeah. now he's knighted. Yeah. 
That's and, what that's what he said that Mick Jagger got mad at him because uh, I guess Keith, I think Keith Richards and Mick Jagger only OBE'd, and uh, and Sir Paul McCartney is knighted. So I think he, that's what the joke he made. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 and I don't know that it was really a joke, but I'll say no. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I, but honestly, I, though, honestly, and look, you think about it like this, though. I mean, and, and I and I say it, and it's not to put myself over there. Living, I've met almost everybody I've ever wanted to meet. Living, yep. and Sir Paul McCartney is one of the people I have not. I've, I've, I've had birthdays with Ringo Starr, but uh, you know his birthday, shared his birthday a couple times. But Sir Paul McCartney, I mean, it's one of the members of the Beatles, one of the greatest, the greatest rock and roll band of all time. And people can argue, but you know, there's Elvis with over two billion sold. You know, the Beatles with over 1.5 billion sold, Michael with over a billion sold, and then there's everybody else. As I say, that's my opinion, but that's sales. And what they did, sure. so you look at that and say, you're, here you are sitting there with Paul McCartney of the Beatles and and his daughter and a publicist in England at, at, a, at, a, at a gentleman's club. And, and that's the one with that had the oak post in the back, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I, I know that. And that, you know, you're sitting there and you're having it. Not many people can have that story. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is that, that one of the things Paul and I were talking about was he says, he, he was saying to me that he doesn't usually mind when people walk over to him to, to say hello. You know, he, he is a very, he, he is a fairly private person. Right. And um, the very first time I met him, he was Linda was still alive, and of course Linda and I had photography in common. Right, right. Because I forgot and, she was a great photographer. Oh, she was an amazing photographer, and and one of the sweetest people that that you'll ever meet. Aside from being uh, a a an, an animal activist and an activist for, for veganism. Now, I'm, I'm a carnivore. I, I'm embarrassed by being a carnivore, but, but you know, I have a lot of vegan friends. Um, I thought that, I mean, she, she and I talked about health and photography, and this was early on. This was in the 80s, that, you know, before, when it was just starting to, you know, people were just starting to become really aware of health health and food. Right. Um, and, and I really admired her for that. I really admired Paul for his activism as well. Um, after Linda, you know, um, I think Paul changed a lot because that was really his soulmate. But anyway, we're sitting there and I said, does it bother you when people come over you know, and, and ask you for an autograph while you're eating. He says, only if I have to put my knife and fork down. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, you know, very tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, the Beatles were known for that sort of sarcasm. Right. Well, I mean, right? The, the thing of it is, though, is you're looking at it is, and I know we don't have too much time, and I, and I definitely want to have you on again. We're going to break this into two, this, this particular episode into two segments to let everybody know because of the fact this is just fantastic, and Please, we want to have you on again, sir. And I know you have a very busy schedule, and and and, and we do. But the two things I want to cover very quickly, if we can, and, we'll make it work. Don't worry, and we'll make it work. One, 
One, I want, I'd like to do a very uh, a small bit on how you got the Nelson Mandela picture. And because right now with all the hard times going on, I want to put a couple of nice positive things out there. And and uh, how did you get the, how did that come about? So Nelson was released from prison in, was it 1990, I believe, uh, I think it was, it was 90, and I was sent, the, the years are a jumble to me sometimes, um, but I was sent, he was, he was doing a speaking tour just after he was released from prison, and I was sent to Germany to photograph it. Right. And we met, and we had a hour-long conversation about World of world politics and and history and and and, and current affairs and and um, you know uh, uh, very in depth. Yes, yes, sir. You were right. Ninth February eleventh, nineteen ninety. Yes, sir. Yeah. So this was in April of nineteen ninety, I believe. And um, we had a long conversation. And. It was, it was amazing. I, I did not know that he was, I mean, he'd been in prison for 30 years, um, but he told me a lot of stories about being on Robert Island and, and how aware he was and about, you know, secret trips to, uh, to, to meet with F.W. DeClerc. And, and anyway, I, I was, mostly I listened. But, uh, there was a point where, um, I guess it was 1993, he was coming to the U.S. on a speaking tour to promote his campaign and raise raise money for his presidential campaign. And I get a call from his assistant asking if I could introduce him to Michael Jackson when he was in LA. That is crazy. I get a call from Michael saying, you know Nelson Mandela, don't you? <laughs> and I said, well, I've, I've photographed him once, but, you know, I, funnily enough, Michael, I got a call from his people yesterday saying he wants to meet you. And Michael didn't even bat an eye. He just said, that would be great. I would love to meet with him. I'm going to donate money to his campaign fund. And I don't want to get too, too in-depth about that, but um, a donation was made. Uh, Elizabeth donated, uh, and, and a donation was made in my name to his campaign. Wow. Uh, by them. Uh, m mainly by Michael. But but Elizabeth wanted you know wanted it known right that, that it was coming from it was from me as well, um and and uh, we we booked the penthouse suite at the uh, Beverly Wilshire Hotel, the same suite that they filmed Pretty Woman in. Nice. Yeah. Um. Except I didn't get in the hot tub or the uh, the bathtub. With, with Julia uh, Roberts, with Julia Roberts, it was <laughs> disappointing. Anyway, so you thought it came but, with a room? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping, but sorry, it was not going to happen. Right. Uh, so, so the 
Secret Service or Dignitary Protection Unit comes in, they do a sweep of the room. Everybody has to leave and walk outside. We're all staying in the hallway, waiting for them to tell us it's safe. Um, Madiba shows up and goes into the room. Um, and Michael shows up and goes into the room. And Madiba comes over to me, and I didn't see Elizabeth enter. Madiba comes over to me and gives me a hug and says, uh, you know, um, is this... Mr. Jackson. So I introduced him to Michael. Broke protocol. Michael's entire, you know, management, management and PR staff was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> right, right. I, I knew Michael. I know how that worked. And neither Michael, Elizabeth, myself, from Adiba, but a kid left. Right. <laughs> right. So after everybody that was important got introduced to each other, meaning Michael, Elizabeth, and, and Madiba, I introduced Mandela to Bob Jones, who was Michael's publicist, Lee Salters, who was Michael's other publicist, and um, and to, to Bill Bray, who was his chief of staff. And Bill Bray turns to me and says, Joker, we got to have a conversation about this. and Michael without without missing a beat says no you don't and I looked at Michael Michael winked at me and 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 smiled and and it was never brought up again so (laughs) everybody now knows right there goodbye (laughs) yeah right drop the mic that was it drop the mic we we had set up a studio with an extremely wide backdrop. I didn't know how many people to expect in, in the biggest room of the suite. And it, the, the studio was, was massive because I had um, these three huge soft boxes of light, light banks, basically. Um, to, to give even light, and, and I forgot that Madiba had told me that he hates bright lights. Oh. But strobes, he could live with strobes because they were momentary. He didn't say a word about it. He just said, I hope you're not using hot lights. And I said, no, I'm using strobes. And I said, you know, the flashes will be, I'll warn you. And he says, no, 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 I'll blink if you warn me. Don't, don't warn me. All right. Well, he's already a pro then. So we shot him and Michael and Elizabeth. Um, you can see the shot on my website. Um, and then Madiba says, by the way, do you mind taking some pictures of my family with Michael? Madiba had flown over his entire family, except for Winnie. So they were divorced at that point. Right. His entire, all his kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, there were about 25 people there, including the, the two representatives from the African National Congress, from the ANC. And we had to, you know, shift everybody into these pictures with Michael. And, and Matiba says, wait a second. Let's not take up all of Harrison's time. Let's do this efficiently. So how many people can you accommodate at once? And I said, okay, we'll do it like this. But I think I did children, grandchildren, 
children separately, grandchildren separately, nieces and nephews separately, the ANC reps with the children and Nelson uh, and a few other hangers-on. And nobody from Michael's entourage got photographed. Wow. And I said, you know, I said to Michael, do we want to shift in Bob and Lee and, and uh, Bill for a picture with Madiva? And he said, well, who's going to take your picture with Madiva? I love that about him. He did that stuff often. And I said, Michael, you are. He says, okay, fine. He hands, I give him the camera. <laughs> my, it, my assistant did not know how to load a Hasselblad back quickly. So the one role he fucks up is the role with, with all of us. No. Yeah. And on the end of the role was one, was a test portrait because Nelson said, when I'm elected, I want you to do my state portrait, which is on the cover of my website. Yes, it is. It's a great picture. Thank you. And, um, it was, it was shocking to me because, you know, I, I, and I didn't, I didn't fire the kid. I was ready to, um, but I said, how the hell did you make a mistake like that? Right. I mean, you know, we got the pictures. We, we actually got what was necessary. And I, I had it out. Michael wanted us to distribute first to USA Today. And then everywhere else. USA Today so, was hotter, hot as a firecracker then, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And and they wanted, you know, Michael, of course, wanted to be retouched. But couldn't, it, there was no Photoshop back then. You know, nice. this is, I mean, there was Photoshop. It was version 1.5, I think, in 93. <laughs> and uh, so we had to have a traditionally retouched, which meant that I went to the lab, I processed the film, we picked the picture, I called Michael and I said, I have no way of showing you this. And we don't have the time for me to drive up to the, you know, to, to he was staying in, in um, Westwood. We don't have time for, for me to drive up there and I'm supposed to meet Mandela after this and photograph him doing his speaking engagement at the Coliseum. So we got to move quickly. Besides the USAA deadline, we're in California. They're in, in, in New York or D.C. Their deadline was at like 8 o'clock L.A. time. Right, right, right. So somehow, Michael said, just take care of it. I picked the picture. Um, it was retouched. I, I approved it. And um, a courier came to pick up a four by five piece of film that had been retouched and rephotographed and wound up in USA Today the next day and wound up on uh, in um, twenty some magazines and or twenty some newspapers in Europe as well. And, and I, I want to use that as a segue quick because we're winding down here. Is that first of all. Michael was a perfectionist, so him trusting you with the picture is showed what kind of relationship you had with Michael. 
And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. No, you're absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, um, it, it was decided, this was something that was decided in 1988 um, on, on the bad tour. Um, there was a, a, um, a road case with, with uh, uh, light boxes to look at film. And it resided in Michael's secretary's suite. And she calls me, come down to my suite. I need this stuff out of here. And I said, well, don't you want me to edit in your room? And she says, no. There's a, there are new rules. And because I had been gone from the tour for, for some months. And there was another photographer who got, who got fired because some stupid things that he did with a 14-year-old girl who was a fan. I'm not going to go too... I'm no, not no, we'll go, go right past that. that. That's where we're, anyway. But anyway, so... Um, Michael said... My, Michael came down to um, Jolie's room and he said, um, how do you feel about keeping all of the editing equipment and all the, all the photos with you. When we've approved things, we send it back to the office in LA and put it in the approved file and everything else gets shipped out once a week, you know, but, but you're in charge of, of approving it. And I say, yeah, sure. I mean, I had done it on victory as well. Um, I said, I, I don't mind doing the approvals. I'll show you, the, the approved pictures after I've chosen them. He says, you can, we should have a slideshow every, every few days. I want to see what you're, what you're picking. And, um, after the second slideshow, the first one we made some adjustments. And after the second slideshow, Michael said, um, you know, people need pictures quickly. You're, you're going to have a lot of work on your hands. <laughs> so I became in charge of, and, and, and was, you know, was really um, trusted with approving Michael's pictures from that point forward. Well, it confused the hell out of some editors. There were some editors that, that were so used to Michael giving it to his publicist that they said to me, they can't take it if it comes from me, it has to go through his publicist. This, you know, his publicist was a persnickety guy. And, and actually, I credit him with being one of the people that made my career. Uh, a friend of mine and I were talking about that last night. And, and Bob says, I will call everyone once. They will either get a message on their answer phone or I will talk to them. And I will tell them that everything photographic, everything visual goes through you. That's crazy. And, you know, Michael was not known for allowing that to happen, but that's the trust he had in me. And for years afterwards, I approved all the pictures that went out. And that's and why I wanted to bring it. That's, excuse me. That's why I wanted to bring that up because that that he just didn't he is is innocent minded as Michael could be, and I mean that complimentary is that he didn't hand over trust like, and he's very much about his appearance. So to to have you saying yes or no to pictures is a really big deal. Yes, and he was, I'll tell you how much of a perfectionist he is, and 
allergies, not COVID-19. And <laughs> right. the, I'll tell you how much of a perfectionist he is. And, and this is true for the other Jackson brothers as well. There was a, um, a phrase that I heard the first time in 1984 during the victory tour. We were looking at pictures and um, Jackie says, I don't like my mouth. Okay. What do you want me to do about it? He says, this is, a, you need a different angle for me. <laughs> There's, you know, five Jackson brothers on, six Jackson brothers on stage. Right, depending on the day, right, yeah. Yeah, and how do I, how do I, when I'm really charged with making sure Michael looks awesome, right? make sure all of them look awesome. Well, it's a skill I developed, but it was it was amazing that when we started bad, first thing Michael says to me is, "Oh my God, I don't like my mouth," and I said, "Oh, time to call the doctor." <laughs> oh shit! But I said it very tongue in cheek and, and very sarcastically. Right, right, right. I, I get, I get. It. That's why I'm laughing because I and I know how. <laughs> And Michael said, well, you could also give me a fat lip. I said, Michael, stop it. <laughs> and I said, wait, let's look at the next, the next slide. Maybe you need to explain, or I need to explain what slides are to your audience, but um, it was a form of picture that was actually the film developed. There's those little 35 millimeter pictures that were transparent. Or translucent, right. right? And so we we went to the next the next slide, and Michael goes, "Oh, I look great here." There was the nuance between the two pictures was was something that nobody but Michael could see. Yeah, and yeah, the wrong. Sorry. Good. Yeah, I said yeah. So I gave his his secretary the two pictures, and I had an X on one, which she thought meant that was approved. And the wrong picture got out, and he never noticed it. <laughs> and I said, to, I finally told him a few years later what had happened, and he says, you know what, he says, I was just being kind of a, you know, a perfectionist. I, I saw something I didn't like the first the first time I saw them, um, but obviously they were so similar that, that anybody else wouldn't even notice. And of course we withdrew the one that, that had mistakenly got out right? and we put in the one that he liked. Um, that's the only time that has happened. Um, but, but, you know, I, I never got, and this was amazing in all the years that I did the approvals, I never got, a comment from Michael that that he thought I made the wrong decision, and and I'm I'm going to bring and that is, that is amazing. I'm going to bring it to this. Is that it's funny? There's two things that have come up this month that have been such an amazing thing, you know. And I had said this to you off the air the other day. I had gotten a bottle of uh, uh, Duke bourbon, and you know, and I got it the day before the Duke passed away, which is June 11th, 1979. And it's funny, I didn't order it like that, but it got here, 
and I reviewed it the day before. And obviously, unfortunately, you know, we lost Michael, um, you know, this month uh, and 2009, 225th. And I wanted, I want, as you know, and we're going to have you on again if you'll be kind enough to come back on. And we'll have a little bit more about, you know, some of the people you uh, photographed and, 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 and a little bit more stories about Michael and, and some other people. But if you'd be kind enough to come back on uh, in the future. But uh, tell us a really fun, unique story that, that gives you great light in the month that you were so kind enough to come on. And I know a lot of people want to have you on, and I'm very grateful that we've become friends and, and that you come on the Lifebox Media Channel Radio Podcast. But if you could give us a story that just you, how you remember, Mike, what, what something that's, that's great that just makes you, uh, you know, to, to wind up the show with something that makes you feel good and gives a good memory. I go back to my, my go-to, you know, warm and fuzzy story about Michael is is about the kids who met Michael through Make-A-Wish or through other charitable organizations who were not in the best of health. And it's a sad story, but it's, it's how I will always remember Michael. And I have loads of other stories. I can tell you stories about Michael being one of the worst drivers I've ever driven. <laughs> um, uh, but I won't. I didn't say that. Um, but, but. And you don't mean it facetiously. You just mean it as, as, and I, and I, and I, I've heard some of these. <laughs> he was a floppy driver. Let me tell you, but he loved to drive. He loved to drive. Right. But he was a sloppy driver. Anyway, <laughs> um, he had his moments. I won't say, you know, all, all the time. Um, There were many times that Michael was just, was just Mike. He was just Mike. He was just a guy. Um, and, and one story that comes to mind was we were in his office in Westwood on the 30, I think it was the 34th floor of the building. We had an earthquake. And the building starts swaying. And um, Michael and his secretary poke their head into my office and they said, uh, we kind of have to go downstairs, don't we? <laughs> and, I, and I said, yeah, we do. I said, um, you know, there's the office staff and me and you. Uh, so what I suggest is that we we go into the the stairwell and we surround you so you're protected and I'll go in front just in case so that if we fall um, you've got a cushion. <laughs> he laughed. Um, I, I was not as big as Frank DeLeo, but I. Frank was not in the office that day. Right. <laughs> and um, he, he had another office on a lower floor where his marketing and PR people were. And and they called upstairs and said, we're, we're leaving the building now. So we just 
decided that it would be me and Michael's secretaries, two of them, and Michael walking down the stairs. Well, 34 flights is a lot of stairs to walk down. Yeah, it is. And we got about two-thirds of the way down, and the building starts swaying again. And I just said, matter-of-factly, aftershock! <laughs> and Michael said, I want to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so we go downstairs. We, we make it to the, to the street. And there is Michael standing on the street. He and I are having a conversation about earthquakes and how much we hate them. And, you know, the rest of his staff is, like, off the side a little bit. They're not surrounding him. And I said, can you guys get over here? And, and you know, and he's like, no. He's like, I'm human. You know, I, I, we're, all, we're all being safe from this earthquake. And I left all my stuff upstairs. I, I think I, I left my cameras upstairs. So my cameras are in the trunk of my car because he asked if I would go get my camera and take pictures of him standing outside the building, <laughs> which I did. And um, I think, I don't know. I think one of the, one of the, the, uh, um, Urban fan magazines, like right on, published the picture of him standing outside the building. <laughs> just you know, and I can just imagine my, my <laughs> oh yeah, unmasked, un un you know, unassuming Michael in street clothes. Right, of course, the street clothes were you know some of the nicest threads you ever saw. Yeah, I was but, I was going to say, it wasn't like he just had on old Shackley jeans on, you know what I mean? Right, right. And I'm wearing, I'm wearing jeans that are like, you know, stylishly ripped in the knee <laughs> in, at the time. Because right. that's, what, that's what we wore in the, in the late eight. I, re know? I remember, brother. I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. And, and so I'm standing there taking pictures of Michael. And a couple fans came over and, and asked Michael, not for an autograph, they said, are you scared? They were young, and they were young kids, and, and Michael said, not really. He said, I'm concerned because, you know, um, earthquakes are unpredictable. And he starts going on about earthquakes. These kids were just like, thank you, Michael. We feel much better now. And that, that is one of those warm and fuzzy moments that I, I like to remember. The other one is uh, on a night during the Victory Tour in Dallas, there were two kids that came to the hotel and, and backstage. One was a girl that, that had cancer that was in remission, and, and Michael had met her when she was 12. She was like 16 in 84. And she was in remission and going to beat it no matter what. Beautiful little girl. And she was, you know, Michael was the reason why she's alive. You know, I took a picture of the two of them. And then I took pictures of her. Michael asked me to, to you know, take pictures of her at the show. In, you know, like in the audience. Right. Which, which I often did. I'd key on one person and, you know, take a whole bunch of pictures throughout the show. 
And um, so she was, you know, she was forever grateful. She thought it was, it was wonderful. The um, And Michael saw her after the show. She came back to the hotel. At the same time, an ambulance had pulled up after the show. Um, we were told that there was a kid in the ambulance who might not make it through the night who was there because of Make-A-Wish had seen the show in his, in his hospital gurney and was just not doing very well. Could, could Michael come down to the ambulance? Wow. And he came down to the ambulance and... Um, he, you know, he talked to the kid about the show. He, he talked to the kid about bravery and about, you know, hanging in there and fighting this. And, um, we went back upstairs, you know, there were about five of us down there. We went back upstairs, all of us almost in tears, just emotional. We were all shaking. I mean, I remember... You know, um, his security guy was like just shaking his head. He was a big guy, six foot, six four, and probably three hundred pounds. And um, we we were up, we were in the elevator talking. Get up to the floor, and um, someone from I guess it was a Dallas police officer had somehow gotten on the radio that the kid died oh. in the ambulance just after meeting Michael. And we were devastated. And it's, it's one of the few times when I, when, when I saw Michael publicly just not, just not be able to contain himself. And he said to my, to me and, and whoever was staying next to me, why do children have to die? And Sorry, brother, I didn't mean to get you down this road. No, 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 it's, it's okay. And, and I said something like, you know, it's all part of a master plan, whether you, what, no matter what you call God, there is, a, there is a master plan, and that's what happens. And I'm trying to be strong, and I'm trying to, you know, say something um, intelligent. Right. Michael puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, you don't have to say anything. I know how you feel. And that was the Michael Jackson that people don't know. And they were, I, I probably could tell 20 stories about him like that. Well, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this and, and we're way over time here and I appreciate you taking the time. And I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to take that one home right there with that and, and say that first of all, thank you so much, Harrison Funk for coming on the show today taking the time. I, I know that you and Michael were very close and I, and I know you're still close to the family. Um, but I just wanted to say, especially in this hard month, I know normally you don't do interviews, 
by far, you and I spoke at what it, the way we met and everything else. We didn't plan on it coming out to being in June, and it just happened like all this. And and uh, and and thank you to 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 Barry Rogers from Wayne PR for introducing us. But uh, I, I want to say thank you so much for sharing that story and and, and sharing such an, a huge insight uh, and, and a personal story as well. And thank you for sharing part of your career uh, for entertainment and, and that what you've you know, contributed to, whether it be, you know, Genesis and Phil Collins or Billy Joel or Nelson Mandela, sharing a wonderful story with that to Neil Diamond and Michael and Sophia Loren to Elizabeth Taylor. I, I really want to thank you for your contribution. And, and, and at a time right now where people need, um, you know, to see good in a lot of people, I think that that story really will resonate amongst my listeners right now. And I think it's something really needed. I please, I'd love to have you on again. Um, but I really appreciate you you know, taking the time and sharing things with the audience of the Lifebox Media Channel Radio Podcast. It is a true pleasure. Well, thank you very much for having me. It, it, it has been a, a wonderful uh, interview or a wonderful, you know, wonderful chat. Um, I, I, you know, if the audience, if your audience has questions, they can email them in to you and, and you can forward them to me. Um, you know, I don't mind talking to people. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to answer stupid questions. Right. No, no, but, and where yeah. can, most importantly, and I appreciate that, most importantly, where can people find you in regards to the fact of if they want to, you know, uh, if a company wants to talk to Harrison Funk about covering events or, or, or documentaries or movies or, or doing work, where can they uh, contact you at? There are a few things. Uh, I'll tell you, my email address is, studiofunk at me.com S-T-U-D-I-O-F-U-N-K at me, M-E dot com My, my uh, website is harrisonfunk dot com One word, H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N-F-U-N-K dot com My Instagram is photo, F-O-T-O underscore icon I-C-O-N um, and, you know, people are more than welcome to, um, get in touch with me on any of those, on any of those platforms. Um, I am available for, here, here's my shameless plug myself. I am available to shoot, um, you know, uh, portraits, uh, corporate events, um, obviously music, um, and, and other, other projects both high profile and, um, and not. And, um, I do sell print from my website. If not directly from the website, but if you, if you see a picture on my website or on Instagram, uh, that you like and you want to buy a print, you can contact me at, at the email I gave a minute ago, studiofunk at me.com. And, um, we can, you know, I can definitely, definitely do that. But the prints I sell are not like 
eight by ten glossies that you would buy on Hollywood Boulevard or on the Strip in Vegas. Um, the prints that that I offer are high quality, limited edition prints. Um, they're not cheap. Uh, you're buying a, a, a work of art. Um, you know, here's my ego coming out like a Picasso. Um, or a <laughs> the New York um, yeah. is coming out. Hustle that. <laughs> But, no, no, it is. It is definitely. It is, it is definitely. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to make myself laugh after after <laughs> Um But but I, you know, um, I I I try to bury my ego sometimes. But but I'll tell you what. If you if you're interested in in, in investing in a piece of art um, that will you know increase in value over the years, like any other art piece. Um, they, these are signed by me, limited edition. There will only ever be up to probably, at the most, I'd say 100 in an edition, but way less than most. Right. Um, and, um, you know, some are close to sold out, but, you know, there are still, there are still pictures available, prints available in every edition. Um, and uh, all you have to do is contact me and, and myself or one of, one of my people, We'll get back to you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Lifebox Media Channel says thank you so much to Mr. Harrison Funk, legendary photographer. It has been a true pleasure. Please, will you come back on again this summer? Most definitely. I'd love to. You have a wonderful day, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time. You too. Stay healthy and safe, and 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 um, don't let the humidity get you. I, I won't, my friend. I won't. You take care and have a great day. You too. Thank you so much.